Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He reached out to me uh, about his experiences of something that I'm familiar with, which is the Temple of Psychic Youth. I'd studied Genesis B. Orridge and included him in the book, uh, my book, Children of the Beast, and kind of followed his career even up to his death. I think he died in 2021. Uh, but he is a very interesting figure. I've read through his book the psychic bible and i was particularly interested in orge too because there's pictures of him with somebody i also have studied in detail is damien eccles so that really kind of made me want to follow genesis Orge. but my guest name is bill smith he runs a podcast titled nature knowledge cosmovision and he was in the temple of psychic youth in the 80s so he's and, and during his youth so he's very articulate he's from the uk he lives now in colombia so it's kind of keeping with the international theme of my show so i'm delighted he reached out to me and i've listened to some of his stuff but i'm, I'm glad to have him so bill smith welcome to william ramsey investigates hi hi william thank you for having me awesome well thanks for yes. short notice yes thanks for people i i suspect most people have not heard your name can you kind of talk about your background you've had kind of uh your arc of your kind of spiritual religious life started young and you got involved in the temple of psychic youth in the uk and can you talk kind of your background and how you got started in that group sure absolutely well i mean it was quite interesting for me when i was a younger fella we were quite a secular family we weren't really religious at all and my father when i was about seven or eight years old he had a kind of mystical revelation he had an experience he'd basically met a, a priest that had asked him if he really was Christian and asked him a few questions about a deeper kind of Christianity. And he'd ruffled my father's feathers. The story my father tells is that he went home and he made a deep prayer and he just said, look, Christ, God, if you're real, I really need to know. I can't just believe. And my father explains that the, the room disappeared. He was taken up into a beautiful realm of light and unconditional love and from that time on he'd kind of seen the light and he the whole family became kind of involved in the church of england in evangelical christianity and, and all kinds of stuff so there was a very you know from the age of seven or eight i was very involved with um the christianity and i was naturally a kind of extrovert communicative person and emotionally and in lots of different ways I felt a very strong connection but as time went on I got to kind of 14 15 and the rebellious side kicked in and I began to fight and I began to see the hypocrisy within my parents and within the Christians uh, that were around in the different churches and so on that we were involved with so I began to go rebel and in that rebellion I kind of started to look into other things and i came across the music of psychic tv which was the music group that fronted up the temple of psychic youth one of the albums i heard there was dreams less sweet which is i'm listening back to it after a lot of years i'm in my 50s now uh it's really uh really extraordinarily far out music but it's got this kind of tension and relax it's kind of trauma music in a way Anyway, so I'd heard the music and I was looking for something really edgy and I wrote to them and they sent me their, their information and I started to receive the different ideas that they were promoting. I was deeply immersed in all kinds of um, what we can call a culture themes. I was reading lots of different books and so on. And uh, yeah, so... What, sorry to interrupt, but what part of the UK were you born in? So what? Well, I was born on the south coast, but I got a southern father and a northern mother. So I lived in the north and in the south. In my formative years, you know, 14, 15, 16, I was up in the north. And then, you know, when I got to 1920, I moved back to the south of England. Gotcha. Uh, so in the north, um, yeah, I'd contacted with the Temple of Psychic Youth and they'd sent me their their booklets and their their kind of philosophy, their their psychology, and also their, their idea of this magical practice. So one of the things they said was that human beings consider themselves one-dimensional. You're just one person. You're flat. But the Temple of Psychic Youth says you're multidimensional. You have lots of different aspects. And that using these kind of um, sigil magic, making a symbol, 
and energizing it with bodily fluids and with the hair from the head and pubic hair and making a whole kind of a usually a solitary ritual but to energize your desire and basically it's the same thing that we hear from Crowley and with the Church of Scientology you know what is it you want do what you will find out you know what what you, your desire is and then this idea that society is always controlling sex and sexual energy and that the the revolutionary sort of psychedelic uh, edgy characters that were in Temple of Psychic Youth were about breaking through that that control system kind of cutting through the control and so um yeah i began so, so that was the that was the beginning so you are the classic member of that group who was uh male order male only kind of at the beginning sending mail back and forth because that was kind of the pre-internet time right yeah that's right it was all done mail order and you know that you'd buy the little booklets and they had video material and different stuff so they were sending me that material the gray book was one of their kind of manifestos and i was also looking into a lot of occult themes i was really interested in all that and so this thing about the the sigil magic or this idea that you know by fertilizing this kind of desires or images you can achieve something from the subconscious and obviously they were they said they were a neo-pagan group they had no recourse to gods it was basically all your mind and it was all about you being super powerful they kind of had that whole thing of um, nothing is true everything is permitted right and uh, fear no absolute um you know which all seemed great to me at the time but as the time progressed i began uh I made a journey, basically, after a couple of years of being in contact and, and following some of the ideas and practicing some of those rituals on my own. Uh, I mean, and also they asked you to send those sigils in, which, I mean, from so many levels, is just really, really quite a disgusting and horrible thing. But obviously, you're 16, 17, you don't really think about it in terms of DNA, the blood and, and your bodily fluids and so on. So they to become a full member of the Temple of Psychic Youth, you had to send in 23 sigils that you did at the 23rd hour on the 23rd of each month. Well, I did about three, I think four or five of those sigils and sent them in. Um, and later on, when I began to see the dark, well, the darker side, or I'd actually met with Genesis, I'd actually gone to the, the house in 50 Beck Road, and I began to get a, an angle on what was really going on there and i began from my heart my feeling in my heart and the way i saw um, genesis treat people um i i wanted to withdraw myself from it and i actually asked him to give me back those sigil things that i'd sent in and i did actually get them back and i did another kind of ritual to disconnect myself from all that but you were kind of in the group for years, right? At least maybe not at their main headquarters in London, but... No, yeah. I mean, basically, the group, you know, they... It was done... Everyone was kind of solitary, really. But there would be concerts, so there would be meetups every now and then. So I guess from 16, 17, 18, 19, I was involved for about four years. And maybe that came to a peak when I was about 17. I went down to an event that was uh, organized in London, and I met some of the inner circle people. And I got invited back to what they there was their house you know the the topi house it was in, in it uh, was in hackney right hackney right yeah. yeah yeah 50 beck road it was a it was a squat an ex-squat that they'd taken over and the thing there that um i i really uh i noticed i mean straight away when i met uh genesis 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 was a kind of uh he was a bully and he was quite it was strange because when I first met him, I was with some other friends there that were homosexual. And one of the first things he said when he saw these guys, he said, oh, so you like to stick it up each other's, you know what? But in a very kind of crude, his whole way was very kind of snidey and bullying. And I mean, I was very young at the time and I had him on a pedestal. You know, I considered... 
And the other people in the group actually laughed at me and mocked me when I expressed something like, wow, Genesis is really great. So there actually was an anti-cult element within it, you know, even yeah. though it was obviously a cult. And nobody um, called him as so real. I was discouraged from put. Yeah, nobody. No, called no him one called him Neil. Um, Neil. Neil, Neil Smeg Smegley. Smegson or his real name yeah. was Neil Megson, Yeah. So yeah, was I he, think, was, I he think Meg, yeah. was he like involved in the whole transformation into some other gender at that time? I don't think he was. Was he? No. Well, there was none of that. And and I mean, interestingly enough. I actually heard a, a read an interview with his ex-wife with Paula and they asked him if he'd had any gender issues and she said no he'd never had any gender issues uh, but he was very emotionally messed up I think I mean as I as I said to you in in the communications we've had uh, William I actually think that um Genesis Peorage and and Chris Peter Christopherson and some of those characters I think they were working for a bigger network I think they were working for like uh, the elite satanic kind of underground. I I think they were kind of lifetime actors. And I believe the fact that he went into the whole transgender in his later life was because that was the agenda that was being pushed. Hmm. And so I think he just went into that. Uh, so did you meet basically, Christopherson? Yeah. Oh, so you knew Christopherson too. No, he was out of the group by that time. They'd kind of, they'd split up at that point. But there was quite a lot of homosexual, kind of those high level of homosexuals, you know, like um, that were obviously upper class people that had come from the, the higher levels of society. And I think I, I can't remember if I mentioned it when we were talking before, but one of the psychic TV concerts I was at, I actually went on stage, you know, in a loincloth body painted a concert they did at the Astoria. And I remember being on stage and looking at the crowd of all the usual kind of fans of psychic TV, punk, gothic kind of characters, and then looking up at the balcony. And there was all these people in tuxedos, you know, very, very elegantly dressed with bow ties. And, and I remember thinking, that's really strange. So there was definitely compartmentalized levels of things going on around the group. Interesting. Um, and did you ha did you yeah. have any relationships when you were kind of a member of Topi? Were you involved in any other occult groups? Because my understanding is that he was involved in a lot of other stuff. Yeah, well, at that time, I mean, I really liked what appealed to me back at that time was the idea, you know, this self-empowerment. I think all of us, you know, when you're at that age, you're 16, 17, you're looking for an identity. And I definitely took on that temple of psychic youth identity as an empowerment tool you know i'd read crowley i'd looked into the whole kind of thing and there was i mean it's embarrassing when i look i look back uh, now and see the image and the atmosphere that was created and it's quite embarrassing for me you know to be honest and it, i wonder about myself back then and obviously the work i did subsequent to being in the temple of psychic youth was basically um dealing with some of the trauma self self trauma that i'd put myself through in that whole ethos of pushing through to the other side so no i wasn't involved with any other official occult groups but i definitely had a gr little group of friends and we were doing our own rituals and it was very much kind of self empowerment you know everyone being their own little guru or their only their own little sort of self empowered person did you did you feel like you were part of kind of a militant group because that was supposedly their their method of clothing and wearing their kind of here monastically you're supposed to shave your head and then have a long yeah thing did you yeah definitely yeah i mean i did the shaved head with the ponytail behind and we had this kind of military kind of half military half psychedelic kind of punk hippie it was a fusion of all that but definitely the the image of it and the cross itself the psychic cross you know had a very powerful image so yeah um yeah, definitely. So you uh, that, definitely that were walking around and that stuff, yeah. Promoting, 
And I was preaching it, you know. I mean, I guess the thing about me and my personality, and, and we'll get to that when we lead to what I got into after Temple of Psychic Youth. But when I was a, a Christian from that sort of seven, eight, I was a little preachy Christian. I was somebody who always wanted to communicate and wanted to uh, impart whatever I was into, you know, to others. So I was definitely transmitting the Temple of Psychic Youth message. And about these, um, the sigil magic, I've also had uh, experiences. Certainly one of those sigil magic rituals I did produced a result. I made one of those uh, magical rituals for a woman. And it wasn't a specific woman, but it was the kind of woman I wanted. And I made that ritual and I forgot about it. And then a number of months later, I met a woman who basically on first sight, when she saw me, she made a beeline for me. And she was the kind of woman that fitted what I'd wanted with making that ritual. And she stayed with me. She was my, my girlfriend until I arrived at the understanding that I didn't want to be part of the Temple of Psychic Youth. And I withdrew from all of that dark side stuff. And when I started to do that, she broke with me. It was very clear that she'd, I knew kind of intuitively that she'd come to me as part of that magical thing I'd done, but she was working for that side, you know, the negative side. And that when I started to understand and, and go to a more positive side, she didn't want to go there. So I kind of have this understanding now with my 52 years of experience that God and the devil, um, they, they pay you, you know, like depending on who you're serving, you know, what forces you decide to serve, they, they, give, you, they give you rewards for that. And of course, we know from the Christian point of view that Satan is the Lord of this world. You know, like when Jesus was in the wilderness and he said, uh, you know, bow down and, and worship me and I'll give you, I'll make you king of everything. And Christ said, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, so on. Well, it's because those forces uh, or, or that force of opposition, opposition to goodness, to, to truth, to morality, to love, to the notion of an absolute, to healing and goodness, is what rules our world. And so it seems to me that, that groups like Topi and, and I mean, we obviously live in, in an ambient, in, in the ocean of a culture, really. It's, it's what yeah. is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, you know. Yeah, it's everywhere. If you really put your lens on to see it, you're, you're swimming yeah. in it. Yeah, swimming in it. Yeah, indeed. Um, indeed. It's really the background of the world, world power, how groups come to power, but it's all secretive. So you have to kind of look behind the, the curtain. Did you ever meet John Balance or David Tibet? No, I never did. And I mean, I actually, I actually had quite an affinity for David Tibet's music, you know, his current 93 right. and that very kind of poetic kind of emotional side of things. But I had a friend who met Dave Tibet. And one of the things he said to me was that he was like a, a, a nasty bully, um, upper class uh, prefect boy, you know, that they all really had that, that kind of angle. And that's the interesting thing, because um, one of the things I naively thought when I first had contact with the Temple of Psychic Youth, and I saw the videos they put out, there was a video called First Transmissions, right. that had some videos there called Psychic uh, Temple of Psychic Youth Rituals, which had a lot of emphasis on kind of sadomasochistic was kind of like hardcore pornography, but with a sadomasochistic angle. Bloodletting. I remember it when used I would be bloodletting, right? Yeah, bloodletting yeah. and uh, and kind of a sadomasochistic thing. But I remember naively thinking, "Oh wow, um, these people must have a lot of love and trust to be able to do that kind of thing with each other." You know, I. But when I got closer in, and this was another point I wanted to mention. The, the room that they did their rituals in was called the nursery. And I remember hearing about uh, a, a group called Genesis. There was a group that Prince Charles liked. You remember the Genesis group? The band, England? yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the band. And their first album, apparently, or one of their early albums, was called Nursery Crimes. 
And I remember reflecting after I got away, you know, got disconnected myself from the temple, it's like a youth thing, and thinking, right, strange that they use this term for their ritual room. It was the nursery. And again, as you said, you've read the Psychic Bible. And in there, he said that a lot of the young people that were in the group had been sexually abused. So there was something in that whole you know that whole very, thing very dark like and, a mean kind of sadomasochistic undercurrent or, or but if you look yeah. through the psychic bible there's literal pictures of guys being tied up hanged on wall with masks i mean yeah exactly i think that's mainly genesis because he was he was a uh, masochist and and he was a sadist and they seem to go together but one of the things i would say okay and this all comes in my later discoveries because when i got out of the negative side of a culture I came across what I consider to be the positive side of a culture and basically one of the things that was explained in those teachings is that the dark side of of the occult always seeks to um, glorify pain to make a, a mysticism out of pain and there seems to be something to do with mind control and the programming that was done in the public elite schools in england yes. i remember your interview recently with the the guy on churchill Duncan. yeah, Duncan. yeah that, that that was done in order to train the top people in society those that were going to be the leaders of society had to be put through it's a certain kind of submission yeah. that leads you to also be a dominant. So Right, it's like a trauma-based mind control, but exactly. kind of 19th century form, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And you so traumatize people too, they become much easier to control because they come out of this the trauma submissive. And so yeah. in those in those elite schools, you torture them, everybody sees somebody else getting tortured, they're compliant, they're submissive, and they learn. Exactly. And then they expire and expand the empire. You know, that's the whole yeah. Thing. And then it, you going through that, by going through that, you get the opportunity to do it to the, the, the lower downs or the, the younger boys below you and so on and so forth. Hey, it's not much that different here in the States with the elite kind of schools here. Uh, yeah. And the fraternities I, I, and all yeah, that. Yeah. When I'm, fraternities too. Good point. But I was, when I was listening to Dutton, I was like, not that much different than the States. Maybe yeah. not as brutal, but. Yeah. Uh, anyway and so, yeah so um the other thing i met another friend who had been connected with temple of psychic youth and i think this is an interesting story because it kind of shows how the public image you know what i basically realized was um that it's you know even if you're a group like psychic tv that was apparently underground there's no way that you get on all the main TV shows. There's no way that you get into the music press. There's no way that your music gets worldwide distribution unless you're sanctioned from above. You know, this whole thing that the um, culture is too important for the those who really control society to let it just happen. Right. So I, it's always a top-down thing. But I met a, a friend of mine. He was... Um, I was a guy that I knew back in the day and he was a very handsome young guy. And I noticed he had this really big scar on the side of his face around his mouth. And I said, Oh, how did you get the scar? And he said, Genesis Peorage broke a bottle and stuck it into my face, jabbed him in the face with a broken bottle. It turns out that when he was living on the South coast down in Brighton, they had an open relationship. I think they were very promiscuous, promiscuous. They were obviously involved in sadomasochism and all that kind of stuff. To be honest, you know, um, Paula Peorage was was very a very sweet person, you know, kind of very um, empathetic kind of person, as you would expect. Uh, I think she'd been picked up by him and enticed into being with him for the fame and for, you know, there was a deal there. Like that phrase, you know, your teeth fit my wound. There, there was some kind of deal there, obviously, and he had the two daughters with her. But so she'd had this affair with this other young guy. And then Genesis, when he found out about it in some pub or club, had smashed a bottle and jabbed it. And he got uh, he'd got um, done for grievous bodily harm. It had gone to court. And the guy yeah. that I knew had. So and all of that kind of things had been hidden away from the public image. But this goes back to this idea that I was mentioning there about having a multiple personality. So the idea in Topi is that you can 
energize and develop your contradictory aspects of yourself. So you might have a violent wolf side of yourself that wants to torture women, for example. And so in your ritual side of your life, you can do that and cultivate that. And so that whole kind of uh, map of, of, of uh, empowering the dark sides of your subconscious, to me, it's pretty clear that leads to a moral and a psychological kind of horror show. That what kind of person, even, you know, to a, a crime of passion, a rage of jealousy. But, you know, there's not everybody that could smash a bottle and jab it literally into somebody's face. That takes a certain kind of person to do that, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's like you're creating a schizophrenic personality, a two-sided Jekyll and Hyde personality instead of one holistic, integrated personality. I think that that's pretty dangerous i mean did you ever see any you know, i mean he had some kind of relationship with anton levey at some point right he, he was in joe in the song joy did you ever yeah. see the and stuff well you were no i mean that was i was quite surprised to find that out afterwards when i kind of dipped back in and listened to what he was talking about and he said about being involved with that and so you know that when i heard that it, it kind of made me think oh yeah of course it, there is a link there. There is a global network um, at, at different levels of those people that are serving serving Satan. You know, they're serving the dark side of the agenda. And I think they get empowered and they get made famous and they, they have all that. I mean, you're asking about the militant and the subversive part. And I just remembered one thing. One of the things that we all knew, the little gangs of people that were involved in Temple of Psychic Youth back in the 80s, was that if you were in contact with the temple of psychic youth you were on the subversive list and i remember we used to consider that to be a badge of honor you know like yeah cool i'm on the subversive list and so there's a there's a little audio there an interview with genesis peorage you can find it on youtube with this canadian guy nardvark and he asks genesis peorage if it's true that peter christus parents knew the queen and he tells an anecdote about the parents of Peter Christofferson being Lord and Lady somebody Christofferson and going and having afternoon tea with the Queen. And the tea, uh, the Queen asking um, Peter Christofferson's mum, what's your boy doing now? What's Peter doing? And she says, oh, he's working with this artist called Genesis Peorage. And the story goes that the Queen looked over at the head of the MI5 and said, oh, oh, we know all about him. You should keep your son away from him. And right. that's a little anecdote that gets told on that. And to me, when I heard that, I just thought, wow, these guys, you know, there's, there's no way that they are not connected and being, you know, uh, empowered by higher echelons. And obviously uh, that, that filmmaker and artist, uh, the famous homosexual one, he was there was in the Burris? early days. Burris? No, no, the English one. What was he called now? Uh, Derek Jarman. Yeah, Derek Jarman, right. He, he's yeah, he, he was involved right there in the early days. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think there was some of his stuff. I think he died of AIDS too, right, Jarman? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. And, uh, wow, so, I mean, Christofferson's dad was a, I think he was a professor somewhere at Hull or one of these universities. Like, I think he was a big wig. And you see the intelligence in his son too, Peter. Officer. sure but yeah. uh did you ever get the feeling like a monastic feeling people have compared topi to like uh fight club kind of like kind of this rough tough uh you have to go out and do things and you're all wearing the same clothes and those types of things did you ever get that feeling kind of feeling yeah a little bit but but like i say i mean the whole <laughs> the whole culture back in those times was was really crazy you know um i mean if you imagine, and I talk about this on my podcast, the whole kind of social fabric of the of the the mid eighties to the nineties, there was really um, lots of breakdown in society. There was these kind of um, the new age traveler movement. There was a lot of inner city problems. There was a lot of punks. There was all kinds of clans and groups, and it definitely had that feel. But it was it wasn't like we were receiving orders. It was almost like you were free to do what you wanted. Yeah, you sure. had the ideas given to you. And between us, we would go and do graffiti sometimes, or we would 
you know, you're encouraged to be not be the audience, but to be the event, to make things happen. So in a, in a sense, that thing of doing stuff that empowered you uh, was what it was all about. There was definitely a kind of, it was definitely that thing of we are the special ones, we're the chosen ones, you know, and everyone else was flat. You know, they were the straight people. They, they were, were the, the gray people, right? They were the yeah. gray. Right. That's they what... were the gray, and we were the we were the really live ones because we were pushing the boundaries with the use of our sexuality, and also there was a, a kind of psychedelic aspect. I mean, and then that's really interesting that whole aspect that Genesis Peerage called himself a culture creator, because basically, the the tattooing and the body piercing that became part of that whole modern primitives that was really started with the temple of psychic youth wow. so they were having the doing the the piercing that went through the head of the peer, uh, penis that that went through the tube like a ring that went through the nipples and the nose and all that kind of stuff you know and it. actually i did that you know i had what they call the amapalang which is a barbell that goes right through the head of the penis I had, I do still have the scars and the tattoos of, of my days back there. But later on, when I broke with that and I began to understand what defines the dark side and the light side, I actually had a deep meditation where I, I saw that those kind of body piercings are really, really bad for your health. Not only bad for your health, but um, there's something magical about them that it's kind of like it's it's like a uh an energetic deal or um what do we call it like a pact like you make a pact with those dark forces whether you know it or not you know because like the church of satan topi wouldn't have any recourse to uh to gods or demons or, or, or other beings. It's all about your mind. It's all about the human power. But it seems to me now, looking back on it all, that obviously they were connected with the, the Church of Satan and that there were dark forces that they were serving. Yeah, they were the OTO. They integrated all this stuff. People called them the most important occult group of the 80s, which was right in the time that you're there. So I remember even where I grew up in Northern California, I didn't know it at the time, but there were guys that were in my high school who had the shaved head and the little, like, whatever, the long hair that came down the back of your head. They were yeah, token yeah. members. So they, yeah. they had a global, you know, global impact. Of, Absolutely. You know, smaller members of society. Not, not uh, you know, I, I don't think that they were really trying to be super popular, but they had, they had a, uh, you know, world attachment. Let me quote this from Genesis Pior. This is from 1989. This is from Children of the Beast. Quote, I've been involved in a total war with culture since the day I started. I'm at war with the status quo of society, and I'm at war with those in control and power. I'm at war with hypocrisy and lies. I'm at war with the mass media. Then I'm at war with every bastard who tries to hurt someone else for its own sake. I'm at war with privilege. I'm at war with all things that one should be at war with, basically. As my mentor used to say, I feel your pain. I feel your shame, and you're not to blame. Wow. So there's the pain pain element. Also I mean, so, there, was a, there was a slogan there from Topi, which was a total love, total war, total riot. And uh, recently I reflect on that. And I think the total war is against the human values and the human spiritual values, the human moral values. And I think that war he was talking about, I, I think that, I think they were, I think they were from the, the the establishment i think the establishment empowered them to look like they were at war with like it says there but actually i believe they were serving the system wow interesting and do you ever i mean you left before but they had they got raided and he came to the states and lived the rest of his life in new york city did you ever hear about the raid or any yeah well i i knew them around that last that last stage oh. and um yeah, I mean, I just remember that um, Genesis saying that they saved him storage. They saved him from paying for storage. Apparently, they raided and they took all the contents, the house con, pardon me, the house content, uh, video, all the, all the stuff that they had there. And they were actually in Nepal at that time, and then they went to the states. And it's not true that he never went back because there was an uh, an, uh, an a culture festival that was held. Um, on the south coast in the city of Brighton and he got a special visa to come back and speak for that 
So that also makes me think that, you know, and that, that was the other thing I was saying to you before we started the recording. I think that the Temple of Psychic Youth, looking back now, I think it was a recruiting ground for people who were movers and shakers and who could have influence in society. And I think it was it was used to recruit those people. I think it was used to um, propagate the dark side of occult knowledge and to lead people into all the traumas and problems that occur from entering into those kind of practices. And thirdly, I think that the Temple of Psychic Youth was designed as a fall guy for the satanic panic because when the dispatches video came out uh, the dispatches documentary exposing the whole thing on the satanic panic they showed clips from the temple of psychic youth first transmissions video and later on we found out that channel four had actually been involved been had been involved with the recording of that video so that and how could they not know that the video that they were showing clips on and then later that was used to completely discredit um what i believe was actually going on you know with the uh, the likes of jimmy savile and all that we know about you know the the moral depravity of the royal family and the ruling elite in general and their predatory nature so it seems that it was functioning on a lot of different levels did he ever have a job? I mean, how did he make money? How did he? How did they survive financially? Well, I think they. No, I mean, he seemed to be doing that. You know, he seemed to be doing that. He seemed to be. Uh, you know, they received donations from people, and they made music touring, and he would do guest music for other bands and for different performing arts and so on. He seemed to be. I mean, like that other guest you had on the guitarist, uh, the Californian psychedelic guitarist that was in played in psychic tv for a while he said they always seem to be skin now maybe it was true you know maybe they were doing it for love but uh you know i think uh it seems strange to me i think uh if they were really serving the dark side of the force as they were it seems strange that they didn't have more money or more resources right, interesting how, well, do, how yeah. big do you think the group was when you were in it well it was hard to know i mean I think, you know, certainly in the thousands, but it wasn't it wasn't until there was a concert or until there was another event. There was nothing like, you know, kind of big group rituals or, or people being kind of coerced into things like that. No, no, it was very much small groups of people in different parts of the country. And it was that kind of mail mailing in and having communication. And then the concerts were a kind of point of contact. And from there it went on. But one of the other reasons that I kind of, in, in my heart, in my emotional side, uh, there was a, a girl there who um, was very close in, she lived in the house and she was like the unpaid nanny. And I remember when I was involved and I lived in the same town as they did for a while and I saw them a bit more regularly, that something had happened and she was treated really, really cruelly. You know, she was helping as a nanny and she was obviously part of the group and quite close. And I remember that there was a lot of, uh, uh, was really cruel, you know, really cruel to her. And basically she was, uh, you know, expel, expulsed from the, from the house and was treated very horribly. And I began to see that and understand that much more. And that's when I made steps to take myself out of that uh, sphere can you expand on that how do, how did you take those steps and how did you kind of finalize your exit well i i got hold of the physical things i'd sent in you know i i knew where the house was i was i i was round there and i told genesis oh look i've decided i want to do a special ritual can i take my sigils back and i took those those back and made a ritual to kind of burn all that and to clean all that and i basically said to the people i knew there that i was looking for something else and i'd come across a, a set of teachings that were really really um uh resonating with me and that they were teaching the complete opposite because um and and there was no you know there was no question i mean there was no kind of coercion i remember one of the friends that was there in in temple of psychic youth i told him straight up because here's here's the 
the kind of the nuts and bolts of it. In terms of this idea of sex and sexuality, and especially the occult idea of the orgasm itself, the orgasm and ejaculation, and that that being a special moment when the gap is made in order that something magical can, magical can happen in your subconscious, and the whole focus being on on ritual kind of orgasm, like that ejaculation, orgasm, sexual magic. When I carried on my investigations into occult knowledge, I came across a set of teachings that said basically this, you're not one, you're many. There are many different aspects of yourself. And those aspects are enemies of your true spirit and your true nature. Those multiple parts of yourselves are basically heads of the seven capital sins. So they're living psychological aggregates that represent lust and pride and anger and greed and all the vices. And that, that teaching said that the sexual energy, and especially the semen, the sexual energy in, in the male and the female, is absolutely sacred because it's creative, because it is life itself. For, with only one sperm, you can create a child. Yet with an ejaculation, you know, 500 million or 300 million sperms are released. So like we hear in these tantric teachings um, in ancient India, in Buddhism, and actually in some of the ancient Christian mysteries, there's this idea that the sexual substances can be transmuted or transformed. And so the idea in this teaching that I found subsequently was not to ejaculate the, the semen, that the semen and the sex should be used in love with one partner and that the semen itself could be transmuted and used for the regeneration of the physical body, for the development of spiritual faculties, for kind of lots of health and positive aspects. And so when I received those two, that second teaching, which came out of this whole Gnostic current of ideas, I remember looking and going, wow, I've got like the two extreme polarities, the right and the left-hand path. And basically with this idea in the right-hand path, that the sexual energy was really important, but it could be used to bring about a unity or a transformation, a mystical death of your vices and a, an internal uh, birth of your Christ consciousness or your Christic virtues in comparison to the ideas in Topi that you're basically fueling your multiple uh, demonic aspects of yourself. And so that was really quite extraordinary for me. So luckily for myself, from 16, 17, 18, 19, by the age of 20, I'd made a radical change. I'd stopped uh, all kinds of drugs and drink, and I'd cut out from the dark side and the Topi and the occult thing. And precisely at that point in my life, I came across these Gnostic teachings that were speaking about the, the use of sacred sexuality, the idea of knowing yourself and deeply facing your inner contradictions and the inner enemies, you know, the parts of us that vibrate with that satanic uh, or oppositional right. energy. That's the opposite of what they were teaching in Topi, too. Right? Yeah, exactly. So not, and also, for people who don't know... Uh, you're quite low there, your volume, Bill. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah, maybe a okay. little. You'd seem quite low for some reason. Oh, so, well, I was looking away when I was talking. Sorry. Uh, one of the things, is that's the opposite of what they were teaching in Topi. And also, the Orage was eating his semen from an early age. So for he had some kind of weird paraphilic thing about his semen, about semen yeah. eating and stuff like that. So not a normal guy. Um, can you talk about how you kind of moved away from the philosophy of Topi into this esoteric Gnostic view of Christianity? Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, it was a gradual process. I mean, I think there were certain, there were certain things I had to do. And that was, I realized, and also that, you know, the, the whole ethos around the topi kind of idea, there was a lot of um, alcohol abuse, there was a lot of drug abuse, there was all kinds of things going on with those kind of people that 
those subversive people. And so one of the first things I did was I, I changed my life. I stopped engaging in all substance abuse. And instantly, my peer group changed. A lot of people that I knew that were, that were happy when I bought the beers around or when I bought the marijuana around and all that kind of stuff disappeared out of my life. And I began to uh, meet other kinds of people. And we called ourselves the straight edge guys. So we were doing, we were investigating meditation. We were doing Tai Chi, yoga. I was starting to do lots of saunas and purification. So I was basically looking after my health physically and also exploring spiritually because I had definitely felt that I had done myself some damage by the kind of topi magic that I'd been involved with. And so what happened when I came across these Gnostic teachings that basically talked about um, a kind of chastity, not rejecting of sex, but certainly the idea that you should avoid orgasm and ejaculation and that that could be transmuted and that when the focus was on a loving uh, spiritual use of sex and sexuality, it definitely led to other kinds of experiences. And so, as I said, the girlfriend that had had been invoked through the sigil magic, when I changed to the other thing and said, wow, look, this is what I really want to do now, you know, I want to practice this kind of tantric Taoist sacred sexuality, she didn't like that. She, she rejected all that. And we actually got married because she was my girlfriend wife during the transition. And so I got really enthusiastic about this idea of the alchemical wedding, the whole idea of, of this uh, magical, loving, sexual kind of spiritual path. And I asked my girlfriend that had come through the topi thing to marry me in my youthful enthusiasm. And she said yes, because, you know, she was really into me. But then when we got married and we were in that first year and I was getting more and more dedicated to the, the positive side of the occult teachings, she, she said, no, 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 this isn't for me. And so we, I, I kind of realized that she, she'd come to me through that dark magic and that that was what she was for, that she wouldn't be my kind of, she wouldn't help me if I wanted to go in the right-hand path, in the, the path of purification. And so it was quite painful. It was quite emotional, but I did know it was kind of, it was a kind of test for me. So, you know, I let her go, you know, we split and uh, she actually had a bit of a crash and burn after our relationship as well. God bless her. And, uh, and I carried on and uh, I was 10 years very committed to those teachings. I did a training to be a teacher within that Gnostic tradition and really dedicated myself to to working for what I consider to be the, the positive side of the, the culture uh, knowledge. Right. And so you, that puts you like around 30. And so you kind of have experienced some of pretty heavy occult stuff, like being in Topi just by itself. I mean, you're, you're going to kind of expound on your knowledge in this podcast, right? That you're working on. Yeah, that's right. I've just got the, yeah, I just got the first hour up there, which is kind of telling my life story. I'm also somebody who really loves telling stories. I'm I'm into traditional spoken word storytelling, like folk tales, mythologies from world religions. I love to sing. I play music, so it's going to be a it's going to be quite a fun podcast as well. I just got the first episode up there. It's a kind of me talking around these things, stories of my life. I sing a song. I tell a couple of folk stories. And uh, I'm going to carry on. So I, I've just got the first hour and 15 minutes up there. But as time goes what's, on, I'll I'll put up more. What's the name of it again? It? It's called uh, Nature Knowledge and Cosmovision. Right. With Bill Smith. Your name is on there. So you can go to Spreaker right now and type in Bill Smith, all one word, all together, or Nature Knowledge Cosmovision and uh, listen to his stuff. Um, do you have some time to take a few questions? Yeah, sure. Okay, let's see. Scroll back up here. Did you have any experience with modern theosophical society type people? Yeah, I, I definitely. Um, I mean, I I'd studied the theosophical stuff, and I I'd met a lot of people within when I was in the the Gnostic circles. 
absolutely. Um, there's all kinds of people there, you know. I mean, there's they tend to be the theosophical groups, in my experience, tend to be rather dusty older people who are very intellectual with very little kind of practical application. That's my experience. Gotcha. And did you ever come across the process church when you were involved in Topi? Because I know no. that George was definitely involved in the process church. Yeah, I mean, I understood looking back that, you know, he was in this thing called the Exploding Universe in London, and he had obviously had contacts with all that back in the 60s. But that was not really mentioned. It was not really anything that, that was brought up when I was involved with Topi or when I met Genesis Peorage, no. Because there's pictures of him doing uh, process rituals. There's pictures of him together with some of these other process characters, fairly recent ones. So I know he was in the States, no doubt. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, let's see. Do you, the early ONA had some involvement with Topi. Does Bill know anything about that? Have you heard anything about the Order of Nine Angles? Well, only from listening to your your investigations, I've heard. But to be honest, I think if there were darker, heavier things going on, and as I said, there was there were different points in certain events when I saw kinds of people that made me think, wow, what are those people doing there? And I remember there being kind of these, these kind of higher society people and certain people being around those events. So I can imagine looking back that there were maybe really, really dark and ugly things, sacrifice and who knows what going on uh, under the surface or behind with with the deeper people there but at the level i was i was never aware of that no and do you or was your kind of straight edge times was that any relationship to kind of what was happening in the states coast american punk straight edgers yeah i mean were they kind of, there was some kind of krishna devotees that were were straight edge wasn't it i mean maybe we'd heard the name from that so, I mean, we called ourselves Straight Edge because we'd go out to the parties and we'd go to concerts and we were a little group of guys. We were playing music, but we were also, we wouldn't drink, we wouldn't smoke, we wouldn't take any drugs. We were practicing Buddhist meditation and doing yoga and Tai Chi. So we called ourselves Straight Edge, you know. Gotcha. And, and people, if they want to reach out to you, Bill, they can do it through the podcast, right? Nature, Knowledge, Cosmovision. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if I've actually put my um, email on there, but my email is uh, gnosticaculturequentero at protonmail.com. And, and that's capital G for Gnosis, capital O for a cultura, and capital C for Quentero, which is a Spanish word for storyteller. So the Gnostica culture. Uh, storyteller or Quintero, but I will put that on. I don't think it's actually on the Nature Knowledge Cosmovision podcast page, but I'll put that up there in these days. So people are welcome to to reach out, and I'll put it in the show notes as well, so people can see the show notes on YouTube or uh, any of the podcasts. Anything? Is there anything you'd like to add or anything? I mean, I think we covered a lot. Do you want to add anything or anything I missed before we wrap it up? Um, no, I think we covered quite a lot there. Just to say. I, I like at the end of my podcast, I, I always say, you know, this, this phrase from Buddhism, which is, may all beings be happy, may all beings be joyful, and may all beings be in peace. So maybe I can end just saying that. And God bless you, William, and thank you for, for hosting me. My pleasure. It's great to have you. Thanks for reaching out. Again, name is Bill Smith, and podcast is Nature, Knowledge, Cosmovision. Check it out. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Sleep you, William. Stay there. Stay there. All right, cool. Okay. Stay there.